Hey Haunties, it's Allie here. Do you ever listen to our show and find yourself completely overwhelmed with terror by the end of each episode? If so, this week's sponsor is here to take the edge off and calm you the fuck down. This episode is sponsored by Vinterra Farms CBD products. No longer will you care whether you live or die after ingesting some of their excellent tinctures, gummies, and or vape pens. Make all your friends and family say, I didn't know you were chill like that, as you listen to horrifying tales of crypts and cryptids unfazed. Does a goat man have you cornered on an abandoned train track? Is a toilet ghost knocking on your bathroom stall door? Or maybe you took too much meth while trying to escape Nazis in the snow. Whatever your unique situation is, Vinterra Farms has the right CBD product for you. Dehaunt yourself immediately, not with sage, but with its cooler cousin, cannabis. For 15% off your entire purchase plus free shipping, head to VinterraFarmsCBD.com and type in promo code HAUNTED15 at checkout. That's V like Vostok, E, N like Necromancy, T like Time Travel, E-R-R-A, FarmsCBD.com, promo code HAUNTED15. Or just check out the show notes and click the link. Thank you for supporting California farmers and farm workers. And now back to your regularly scheduled haunting. Welcome back to Let's Get Haunted with your hosts, Nat Strawn and Allie. Welcome back, guys, to episode 135 of Let's Get Haunted. It is now the third episode of season five. It is. And this is a very special episode for Allie and I because this is the first episode that we are recording for our Patreon. Yeah. And we're, we're like still trying to figure it out. So if you guys want to see the video, you're going to have to subscribe to our Patreon. Now, before we get into this week's episode, you should know that if you are new to this show, Natalia and I do something every week where for the first 10 to 30 minutes of the episode, we just kind of shoot the shit, catch up with each other, chat, go over some housekeeping, new information about the podcast, shout out our donors and the like. And if you are new to the show, That stuff might not interest you, and that is totally fine. What you can do to skip ahead and get to the story that's in today's title is you can expand the show notes below, and the very first sentence of the show notes will say skip two, and then we will have a timestamp listed. And you are welcome to skip to that time at any time to get straight into today's episode. Otherwise, Natalia and I are now going to chat and catch up with each other. So I have a question for you. I'm looking at Allie and it looks like you're wearing clovers, right? Like, is this like a... Yes. Is that fucking... Uh, what is the fuck is that holiday called where you pinch people and they're not wearing green St. Ives? What is that shit called? How this ties in is that this audio version of this episode is going live on essentially Valentine's Day, yeah. but the video version is going to go live on Patreon on our launch date March 1st. So as I was on my lunch break at work today, I was like, oh, it's our first video episode. I want to make it kind of festive and fun because otherwise I'm just going to be boring and sad to look at. How can I make myself look less sad uh, coming straight from work? And so what I did was I knew I had a wig here. So Mm -hmm. that was covered, right? Red wig. But then I was at Target and I'm looking around and 
I was thinking they would have a ton of Valentine's Day stuff still, but apparently not. Apparently it is too close to Valentine's Day. So now they had a bunch of St. Patrick's stuff up in Target. Yeah. That's what it's called, St. Patrick's Day. Why? I couldn't figure it out. What the fuck is St. Ives? That is just a soap. That (laughs) is a soap brand. (laughs) But the point is I'm combining those two things here today because the audio version goes live around Valentine's. Video version goes live around St. Patrick's. Mm -hmm. So we've got some red hair for Valentine's and a green little uh, antenna for St. Patrick's. It's really awesome. I really like it. Um, My voice is super hoarse. We had to push this recording back actually I think like three and a half days because Allie and I were supposed to record three days ago and I sent her a voice message um, via text where I was like just trying to talk and I couldn't even whisper like whispering hurt straining to whisper was painful and it was so frustrating like I had never realized how much I talk until it hurt to talk. (laughs) And it still kind of hurts, but it's getting like a little bit better. You know what? I'm going to describe this for our audio listeners who aren't going to get the Patreon. Allie is looking very beautiful and picturesque in the LA studio. She is glowing and looks like one of those Art Nouveau um, girls with like the long... You know what I'm talking about? And I, on the other hand, am... In my pajamas, I am wearing sweatpants with dragons on them, and I have a cat headphones that are missing an ear. They have been for a very long time, but you know what? Rest in peace, other ear. It still works. So I feel like we really are just covering all of the bases that anyone could want from a Patreon. Yeah. And we're just keeping it super real. 100. That's right. And I actually think if you were to push that cat ear towards the center of your headband, maybe you could be like a baby unicorn that is just sprouting a magical horn or a narwhal or something. You know what? I really don't like this. Um, It's scaring me. (laughs) I just... (laughs) I just put it in the center. Doesn't this look like a weird, like, satanic symbol or something? I don't know. That's really well, scary. Well, no, actually, me. you know what? You look like a Teletubby. I regret telling you to do that. I'm That's sorry. Right. I wasn't trying to sabotage. Okay. Yeah, I think the one ear is kind of cute. Like, maybe I'm like an alley yeah. cat that got into a fight, and then, like, you feel sorry for it, and you adopt it. A hundred percent. And I think that's really going to resonate with our listeners, because mm. what could be more haunted than a scrappy alley cat that is full of haunted mm. tales to spin? You know what I, like, was thinking about, actually, right before we started recording this, Allie? This is on a personal note, like, just between what? you and I, but I guess we're sharing it with the Patreon. Maybe this is going to get edited out or whatever. Um, I was thinking, like, you know when you go into a store... And like you go in and like all the clothes are ugly or something and it's just like not a cute store, but there's like one person working there and you can tell that they're not an employee, like they own the whole store and they've like picked out everything by hand and they're like really excited to have a customer. Like a boutique. Like a boutique, but like you go in and it's just like everything sucks and you're like no one's probably bought anything in here in like years and like the owner is like really desperate like oh my god I hope they buy something and you are like oh everything in here is weird but I feel like if I turn and leave then they're gonna know that like their their feelings are gonna be hurt so you end up just like buying something stupid there what if like the people who get our patreon are like that like they just feel so bad for us and then it's like awkward because they're like wow yeah I really don't want 
to ingest any of this content uh the, the one cat ear content but at this point it's just like cringe and i feel bad for them so i'm gonna get it you know what i'll take it i will take your patreon dollars any way that we can get it whether by pity right. by force or by uh joy i'll take it i will rob you if it means we can make our rent payment mm. this month yeah they raised our rent like that's so rude do you have any personal hauntings we actually have a couple of things on our housekeeping schedule that are pretty exciting we are currently nominated for a shorty award again in the comedy podcast category this year they switched it up they're last year or two years ago when we were in the shorties last time mm-hmm. they only had one category for podcasts and it was just the best podcast category so it was like sports podcasts um like tnt netflix yeah. and then us randomly mm-hmm. and we came out victorious a little bit we did not get the trophy we wanted which was a whale tail which is what they're famous for mm-hmm. because we were not selected by their um hand-picked selection of jurors but we were selected by the audience honor because we have crazy haunted fans yeah and so that's going to be the name of the game this year again now what has changed this year is now they have divided up the podcasting into separate categories so we are currently nominated in the comedy podcast category now i emailed them and i said when can we expect to know like whether or not we have been selected by them or whether or not we have been selected to go into the pool of people that run for the audience honor. And they responded and I believe they said April. So keep a lookout at our Twitter, you guys, because that is where the voting happens. And that is the first exciting thing. We were also recently featured on an episode of a little podcast you guys may have heard of called Hillbilly Horror Stories, which I will link down below in the show notes for this episode if you want to go give it a listen. But essentially... Jerry from Hillbilly Horror Stories, he has a podcast with his wife. I believe they live in Kentucky, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. They do a lot of stories about, similar to us, but I think they mostly focus on the hillbilly side of it, right? So, which I love, Mm -hmm. by the way. Love when there's a niche that's filled that I didn't know existed, and then I find out about it, and I'm like, that needed to exist. Right. Love that. But yeah, he had us on his show, and it was a really cool experience. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was really fun. Um... I remember like getting on the show with him and feeling like a little bit nervous like oh I don't know because they're they're really successful and he had just finished telling us that like they just did a cruise with all of their listeners and I was just like oh my god I want to do a cruise with all of our listeners and so I was just like don't fuck this up don't fuck this up don't fuck this up you know what I mean and he had a fucking crazy ass office like he was recording in his office and he had like all of this haunted shit around him and it was just so distracting because he was like telling me a story and I'm looking behind him and there's like a a man-sized clown mannequin with like a knife (laughs) and I was like so we're just not going to talk about this and then luckily after we finished recording he gave us a tour of everything that I wanted to see in his office which was nice he was very very nice um we didn't get to meet his wife unfortunately I believe she was busy doing something else but yeah he was super kind um very complimentary which Natalia and I are not used to Natalia and I are used to like hopping on a zoom call with someone that is pretending to be interested in like representing us or like interested in moving us over to their network and then being fed a bunch of bullshit and then like five months later they reach back out and they're like never mind (laughs) we don't like you 
So this was really great. He gave us a lot of solid business advice. And Mm -hmm. from him, we were able to learn why networks and people just come out of the woodwork and are so interested in us. And it's because he said we have so many ratings. That's rare. If you haven't rated us yet, you can do so on two platforms that I know of. Apple, definitely give us five stars on there. In order for your review to go through on Apple, I'm pretty sure you have to like write a sentence um, explaining why you're giving the five stars. I think they have like a character limit. I'm not positive. But Spotify, they don't allow comments. So you can only rate us five stars on there and we will not accept ratings of less than five stars because um it's not it's not right you guys if you don't like us just don't listen because we try so hard and got so far and in the end we'd like it to matter i also wanted to take this opportunity to shout out a fan run let's get haunted tumblr account that just launched which we will also be linking in the show notes it is let's get haunted.tumblr.com and I want to give a very special haunted shout out to the two moderators running that fan account, which is at golden dash good dash right dash real and at Mary Elizabeth A. Both hey. of them teamed up to create this Tumblr account. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that golden good right real actually had reserved the URL, let's get haunted, haunted.tumblr.com in like 2019 or something, just to make sure if we ever needed it, it was available. What and so I just want to say thank you so much to both of those moderators. I don't personally know how to use Tumblr, but you bet your ass I'm going to learn. Oh my God. Like, how are just people so cool? I really need to work on myself. The more I learn about the haunties, the more I realize how much I'm lacking in like the cool personality department you know what I mean they're inspirational for sure very inspirational speaking of the haunties I would love to give a big shout out to Peter Barker and Malik and another shout out to big football energy for winning the very first ever let's get haunted fantasy football bowl I would also love to give a big shout out to giggles Haley a Tiffin Tom Danyan Jessica W, Taylor M, Madison F, and Corey T. And I have a very special request from Corey T for his wife's birthday this year. So here we go. Here's the message. From someone who said, what awaits you is inside a door you cannot walk through. A passage whose lock can only be broken by that which you cannot see. Of which whose intent is uncertain. The portal aside of your slumber. What the fuck does he want his wife to die on her birthday? That is so fucking scary. I cannot reveal what this clue means. But if this clue sounds like it applies to you, then apply it to your leisure. I feel like we just murdered someone. Like that was like the trigger for like a squid game situation to begin. (laughs) I fucking wish that the man in my life would leave little clues in podcasts I listen to. The man that I'm seeing is literally going to a different country over for (laughs) by himself for Valentine's Day. Wait, what? That is a personal haunting. I I really don't care, guys. Like once you have a baby with someone, you're kind of just like, please, like, get the fuck out for a little bit right. so I can, like... Leave me alone. Yes, please, God, leave me alone for a second. Like, <laughs> back to what we were talking about, which is the haunties. I would like to thank Pete M., Camry G., Anna K., 
Jessica M, Gentry B, Corey T, Casilda P, Curie S, Camry G, Sarah W, Megan C, Alyssa S, Olivia M, and Gentry B. And thank you guys so much for your donations this month. I feel like there was a lot of generous donations, and um, that really means a lot to us because uh, we're at our breaking points. Yes, thank you all so, so much. And just a quick reminder to be on the lookout for our Patreon launch date on March 1st. The cheapest tier that we are offering on there will be where you can find our video episodes. We are going to be recording video versions of the Listener Story podcast moving forward. This is the only time that a Patreon exclusive will be an episode episode, and that is just because the scheduling did not work out to do a video Mm -hmm. episode for our first Listener Story of the year. But that's okay because this might be even more interesting. Yeah, you and you know, know what? We're, we're guaranteeing that all of the listener stories are going to be recorded and put on there as videos, but uh, we might record other stuff and put it on there. Who the fuck knows? I don't. You never sure. know. We, we literally don't know what we're doing. This is a DIY podcast through and through. But speaking of not knowing what I'm doing and not knowing how to transition this, Natalia, would you like to get into today's episode? Yes, Fuck yeah. Are you ready to get haunted? I am so ready to just be entertained and just listen. I'm just going to be such a good listener and such a good um, pensive responder. I'm really going to take my time to like formulate ideas and thoughts. And I'm going to come up with some some really groundbreaking commentary. I just want to say as a quick aside, um, the word pensive always brings me back to my live journal days because that's the you know he used to be able to select your mood when you would post Mm. something to live journal that's where I first read the word pensive and first learned it and so now every time I hear someone say pensive or I use it I just think to myself like man those were simpler times I love it back then Um, live journal taught me all the vocabulary I ever needed that is great because I just went on live journal well we'll I'll save that for a different Okay, now we are going to get into episode 135, and sometimes I have like a nice little intro transition. Natalia is better at doing this than I am, but sometimes I'll put it in, and then other times I just jump straight into the episode with no warning, and it's very abrupt, and this is one of those episodes. Let's so go. buckle the fuck up. Here we go. Life is a highway. I want to ride it all night long. <clears throat> On Monday, November 17th, 1986, a Boeing 747 was en route from Paris to Tokyo. The Japan Airlines flight, piloted by Captain Kinju Terauchi, was transporting a cargo of French red wine called Beaujolais wine to Narita International Airport. The flight was long, and the Boeing had to make refueling stops in Reykjavik, Iceland, before continuing on to another refueling stop in Anchorage, Alaska. The aircraft was occupied by only three people on this journey. Hold on a second. This is a a Boeing 747 that only has three people on it? It is a cargo flight. They are transporting wine, red wine from France to Japan. Okay, that was a test. Yeah, keep going. Yeah. (laughs) 
The aircraft was occupied by only three people on this journey, the captain, the co-pilot, and the flight engineer. Captain Terauchi was an ex-fighter pilot with over 10,000 hours of flight time logged into his commercial airline record. At just 47 years old, he already had 20 years of combined military and commercial flight experience. And by this point in his career, he had seen it all. He had made many cargo flights before this one, and the flight was shaping up to be uneventful as usual. All three men are relaxing in the cockpit with the airplane on autopilot when they cross over into the northeast corner of Alaskan airspace, heading toward their refueling stop in Anchorage. As is customary when entering a new airspace, Captain Terauchi radioed into air traffic control, who told him to slightly alter his course by a few degrees. As Terauchi takes the plane off autopilot and gently alters the aircraft's course, dusk begins to fall around him. The crew can see a beautiful sunset painting the skies to their right and darkness falling on the horizon to their left. As the Alaskan sun dips lower into the ocean, the three men suddenly see something unexpected appearing almost directly in their flight path. There appears to be a large, glowing ball of light in the distance. What? At first, the men aren't quite sure of what they're seeing, but because of the possibility of a collision if the object does not move, Captain Terauchi focuses intently on the ball of light along with the plane's two other passengers, co-pilot Takanori Tamefuji and flight engineer Yoshio Tsukuba. The trio are traveling at an elevation of 35,000 feet and cruising at a speed of 905 kilometers per hour. With the gap between their windshield and the object narrowing with each passing second, Terauchi begins debating what they should do if the ball does not move. Their aircraft is at a maximum capacity, weighing in at 770,000 pounds, and fuel is running low as they are due to refuel soon. Each deviation from the normal flight plan Terauchi chooses to make will result in burning more fuel than originally anticipated. Because of this, a decision to steer away from the ball of light in the distance cannot be taken lightly. As Terauchi and his co-workers watch, the glowing ball slowly separates into two distinct cylindrical beams of light, no. about 600 meters below the aircraft, but still in front of them now. The cylinders are as long as they are wide and appear to have three separate sections. What the three men describe seeing is so specific and so strange that they are paralyzed as they debate what to do next. According to research by author J. Glenn Harper, Terauchi describes the object as follows, quote, Each cylinder has three sections. Two sections consist of multiple rows and columns, with rows of about five or six white spotlights, like stadium lights. In the center is a dark section of amber, like embers, like coals from a fire glowing and changing. This section separates the two other sections. The two cylinders appear identical to each other and are about the size of a DC-8 aircraft or about half the size of a 747." End quote. The two cylindrical beams of light now fly in formation. 
At first, the objects appear to be flying with one on top of the other. Then, they seem to change position, now flying side by side. Still unsure of what to do, the men in the cockpit of the 747 begin quickly trying to debunk what they are seeing. Could it be an optical illusion? Perhaps the reflection of the sunset bouncing off of some oddly shaped clouds? But the sky is clear. There are no clouds around them at all, other than a few wispy cirrus clouds on the hills about five miles below them. Could it be some trick of the light or natural phenomenon? No sooner had the men thought this than the lights began to change again, this time swaying like a swing, back and forth still in formation. The movements, though rhythmic, seemed to have a pattern more consistent with a mechanical or intelligent manipulation rather than the chance changes of a cloud blown by the wind. At this point, Terauchi remembers that he has his digital camera with him, and he asks flight engineer Yoshio Tsukuba to fetch the camera bag. Terauchi tries to get a snapshot of the two objects flying side by side in front of him, but because dusk is falling outside the cockpit, he can't seem to get a focused photo. Still trying to debunk what they're witnessing, Terauchi orders the lights in the cockpit be dimmed to make sure that the phenomenon is real and not just some weird trick of the light reflection bouncing off the inside of their windshield. The interior lights are dimmed and the unknown cylinders are still there, swinging rhythmically in the distant sky in front of the cargo plane. By this point, the men are completely baffled. The lights remain in front of the trio, several miles in front of their plane, but now seemingly switching directions and coming straight for them. On the onboard color radar, Terauchi sees a target for the object, seven to eight miles or 12 kilometers ahead of them. Confusingly, the target appears green instead of red, the color that should register for large solid objects which are this close to the 747. All three continue to watch the lights for six or seven minutes before co-pilot Tamafuji calls the Anchorage Air Route Traffic Control Center on the radio. He asks if there is any other reported traffic near the 747. At first, the Air Traffic Control Center says that they do not see any other crafts in the vicinity of the Japan Airlines flight, and asks Japan Air to identify the aircraft to them. Natalia, I would like you to read some of the transcript with me now. I will play the part of the air traffic controller, and you will play the part of the Japan Airlines flight crew. Oh, okay. This is exciting. Um, I am confused a little bit. Are these lights? Okay, the lights are the same size as their plane? So I'm going to show you some sketches that okay. eventually were done of this sighting. But before we get to that, I just want to say that if you're confused, don't feel bad because I was super confused. <laughs> and even after seeing the sketches, the sketches are so unbelievable mm -hmm. that it becomes evident why the description makes no sense to our puny human minds. Right. Because they're describing some sort of phenomenon that does not exist on Earth. And that's why the crew is confused too, because they're thinking to themselves like, Okay, um, maybe it's a trick of the light bouncing off the inside of our windshield. Okay, no, it's not that. Okay, well, maybe it's like the sunset being weird. Okay, no, it's not that because you can we can see the sun to our right and this is in front of us. 
Um, okay, well, maybe it's just some like weird phenomenon, like above Alaska, you know, there's the northern lights, right, that you right. can see. But no, it's not that either, because it's flying in like an organized pattern in front of them and switching directions and moving all around in a way that is not consistent with a natural phenomenon. So that's why it's it's so confusing. I'm going to send you the transcript now. Okay, I'm excited for it. So you are playing Japan Airlines and I am the air traffic controller. Do you have any traffic in front of us? Negative. Roger. We have two aircrafts in front of us now. One mile about... Japan Air 1628, Roger. Can you identify the aircraft? We are not sure, but we have traffic in sight now. We can see navigation lights and strobe lights. Roger, sir. Say the color of the strobe and beacon lights. The color is white and yellow, I think. Roger. Maintain visual contact with your traffic. Can you say the altitude of the traffic? Um, at the same altitude. And now the target traffic is extinguished. We cannot see now. Roger. And I'm not receiving any radar replies. And that's where the excerpt of the transcript that we're reading from ends. This conversation, which was preserved in records, basically shows that Japan Airlines, at this point, is pretty confused about what they're seeing, and they're starting to think maybe an an unplanned flight or aircraft is in front of them. And so they radio down to air traffic control, and at first, air traffic control can't see anything. And that's a problem, right? They They need to be able to know how to direct air traffic because Japan Airlines is not the only flight that's going to be going through and this area that night and landing in Anchorage. It's like a popular refueling stop. Right. So they're like, okay, can you describe it to us? Can you tell us how high up it is? Can you tell us what it looks like? And the only way that the crew of Japan Airlines can think to describe what they're seeing is in aircraft terminology, right? So they're saying, okay, I think there might be like a strobe and and beacon lights, even though the whole thing looks like a light to them. They're like, maybe these are just like really bright beacon lights. And at first, like we said, air traffic control is not seeing anything on their radar. But then something pops up. It's a steady presence following just five miles directly behind the 747 showing up in the air traffic controller's radar. Air traffic control knows that this image on the radar cannot be another commercial flight or a smaller private flight. All that leaves is the possibility of a military exercise. To rule in or out this option, air traffic control next radios the Air Force's command center, asking if they can confirm or deny the presence of any military aircrafts in the area. The person manning the Air Force command center radios back, saying that the military does not have any records of any aircraft flying in the area, but he does see something showing up on his military radar saying, quote, Japan Air, sir, I'm picking up a hit on the radar approximately five miles in trail of your six o'clock position. As air traffic control receives this transmission, suddenly the location of the unknown aircraft appears to change from behind the 747 to back in front of it. What? 
the two air traffic controllers proceed to go back and forth with both ultimately agreeing that they can clearly see the signature of an unknown aircraft flying closely to the Japan Airlines 747. At this point, Captain Terauchi and his two fellow co-workers have witnessed the cylindrical beams of light moving quickly from in front of them, to below them, to behind them, to the side of them, and back. Frightened but still maintaining their professionalism, they now request permission to take evasive action to see if they can shake the unknown object. Since the plane is running low on fuel, evasive action would normally not be recommended, but given the strange circumstances and the unknown origin of the craft, air traffic control ends up giving the men the okay. <laughs> the air traffic 740... control is like, yeah, man, just get the fuck out of there. Like, I don't know why we're still talking about this. Yeah, Air traffic control is like, why the fuck is this aircraft popping up on both of our radars? Like, I think right. they're probably kind of excited about this because they're like, ooh, something interesting finally. Right, yeah. The 747 makes a turn and drops 4,000 feet, but as the men watch in horror and awe, the lights execute the same maneuver, still following the 747. Air traffic control next requests that the Japan Airlines flight make a right turn in a complete circle to see what the unknown craft does in response. Just as air traffic makes this request, the Air Force radios into the conversation confirming that they can clearly see radar blips from two aircrafts now flying around the 747. Air traffic asks for clarification, quote, are you saying two unknown aircrafts are following the 747? Air Force responds back, quote, yup, looks like it. According to author J. Glenn Harper, quote, when Terauchi completes the 360-degree turn, he catches a glimpse of the craft following the 747, which now appears different than before. It now appears to be two bright lights, about a thousand feet apart, with a silhouette of a walnut or Saturn-shaped aircraft in between, which is as large as two aircraft carriers, much, much larger than the 747. The two control center employees continue with a brief back and forth and end by asking Japan Airlines Flight 1628 if they would like military jets to be scrambled to fly up and check out the unknown objects. Yes. But Captain Terauchi quickly responds, negative, negative, and instead requests permission to fly directly to Anchorage because of low fuel. As Terauchi gets permission to make a beeline for the landing strip in Anchorage, Alaska, Air traffic decides to radio a United Airlines flight, UA-69, to see if they can make visual contact with the object as they are flying nearby the same area the craft was first seen in. Okay. Wait, why didn't he want the military people to go fuck that shit up? This is something that's going to be debated in the theories. Some people are like, the only reason why he wouldn't want them to scramble military is like if he wasn't sure of himself or if he is lying and then other people think that there's a logical explanation but we'll get to that in a little bit hmm. so ua69 which is flying in the same vicinity is told to slightly alter course and head over to the area where japan airlines first saw this unknown object so changing course to get closer to japan airlines united flight 69 reports back the following quote We've got the Japan airliner in sight, but I do not see anybody around him. Japan airliner is silhouetted against a light sky. I don't see anybody around him at all. 
I can see his contrail, but I sure don't see any other airplanes. Air traffic then makes the same request of another aircraft, diverting it toward Japan Airlines as well. But this aircraft also cannot see any foreign traffic in the area. After hearing this, air traffic radios Japan Airlines again, and Captain Terauchi confirms that he can no longer see the unidentified objects either. He clarifies that the craft disappeared around 10 minutes after his 360-degree turn, as he flew in the vicinity of Mount McKinley. He is now cleared for landing, and 25 minutes later, the crew of three touches down safely in Anchorage. Once their aircraft was refueled, Japan Airlines Flight 1628 took off again, landing safely at their destination of Tokyo around 15 hours later. During the two-hour or so interval it took to get the 747 connected, refueled, and disconnected, the FAA sent out Inspector James Derry to interview the crew about what they had seen. Derry wrote in his notes that the crew were, quote, shook up but professional. In another report, a different FAA investigator concluded that the crew were, quote, rational and professional and showed no evidence of drug or alcohol use. Natalia, before I show you these sketches that Captain Terauchi drew, what do you think so far of this story? Well, I'm just going to tell you right off the bat, I'm so relieved that this is a, a UFO story and not a story about a plane crash. So I'm already happy. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I don't know. Like, my mind is kind of... I don't know. I, this is weird. This happened over the middle of the ocean? Yes. So this happened right as they were crossing into Alaskan airspace. They were over the ocean and they were nearing Mount McKinley and ultimately ended up landing in Anchorage. And since this is a video episode for Patreon, I'm going to throw up some maps up here showing the trajectory and where the craft was located during this incident. Um, and then for people who are listening to the audio only version, you can go to Instagram at Let's Get Haunted and scroll through our photo dump, which will feature key images from this episode. Um, I... You know what? I really don't like, like, the Arctic water. The Arctic land is really interesting to me. I'm, like, really about that life. But I don't know. There's just something really creepy about cold, dark water. You know? Like, nothing can live there. It's like space, in a sense. And so it makes sense to me that the aliens would choose that as their sort of habitat here on Earth. Um, I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but you know what? I don't really have a um, resolution to that sentence. The ocean is where a lot of sightings of UFOs have occurred over the years. Mm -hmm. And depending on who you talk to, that could just be a coincidence. It could just be that aircrafts are easier to spot in an environment where there is less clutter, right? Like the ocean doesn't have anything but ocean and maybe like an island or if you're nearing the coast, then you can obviously see a shoreline. But some people think, oh, well, that's why we see most um, unidentified flying objects over the ocean because there's nothing else to look at. So it's going to be super obvious if there's something there that's an anomaly. And other people think that the reason why we see unidentified flying objects over the ocean is because aliens perhaps have military bases or alien bases in our oceans and maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that later i cannot reveal my secrets mm -hmm. 
But now I have sent Natalia about 20 different yeah, sketches. This is a lot. And I would like you to describe these. These are um, a series of sketches. All of them were made by Terauchi. Yeah. And they look different because the beams of light, as we heard in this narrative, kind of seem to morph and change. But I'd like you to describe them to the best of your ability. Okay, so I'm looking at a bunch of different sketches, and there's just drawings on there with a bunch of Japanese. I can't read Japanese, so I don't know what it says, but I'm going to describe this to you guys uh, in my own words. So it looks like, I want you guys to imagine a lemon. Like if you took a lemon and turned it on its side, you know how it has like the kind of the two little nubs on each side where the stem is and where the little, uh, the butt or whatever it is. There's a lemon, it's on its side. Now, I want you in your mind to picture the planet Saturn. If you could take a sticker of Saturn and put it on top of that lemon, that is what it looks like. Um, yeah, it looks... It, it's so weird. I don't know how to describe this. So I understand why their descriptions were so... Yeah, you guys just gotta go look at this because I don't know how I'm gonna describe this. Okay, so the lemon that I was talking about on the nub, like on the butt and the stem... Imagine those are like light bulbs and they have some sort of like force flex energy going around them. It's like a spherical energy. And then uh, where the rings of Saturn would be, there's like nothing at all. It's like empty. There's no light at all. Um, and then this whole thing is like the size of like, I don't know, like 200 cargo planes it has a cargo plane next to it for size this is this shit's fucking scary if i saw this yes and i was flying a plane i would just immediately think this was a weird electrical storm and i didn't want to go near it otherwise my shit was gonna fucking fall out of the sky you know Yes, it's fucking scary. And so you can understand why, like, they don't know what to do at first. And it says in the official report that because uh, all these people were interviewed, obviously, because the FAA is like, is there a fucking enemy plane flying in our airspace? Like, is there like some error with all of our radar systems? Because keep in mind, this object, whatever it was or objects, depending on what you believe, um, all of these objects showed up on three separate radar systems, the military radar for the Air Force, the commercial radar for Anchorage's area, and also the radar system of the flight of Japan Airline Flight 1628. So three separate radar systems have registered something, whether that be a blip on the radar, whether that be a big like blip on the radar, whether that be like a consistent craft or something that's moving all over the place, three separate systems registered something at the time that Japan Airlines was viewing it. So something was up there and the FAA wants to fucking figure out what it is. And sorry, I'm looking at some other stuff that you sent me. And this one's of the, the radar signals. And it says an uncorrelated primary and beacon, a secondary return on a radar screen occurs when the radar energy that is sent up towards the aircraft, the primary signal returns off the surface of the aircraft at a slightly different moment than the beacon, which is secondary. Uh, and the two do not match up as being at the same place or the same computer cell. This is like some aerodynamic shit that I just don't have the brain cells to, to compute. Yeah. Um, yeah. So long story short, what you're telling me is that there's a big scary storm something cell. That's how I would describe that giant 
lemon shit that they saw in the sky, that light thing. I would describe it as like an alien supercell storm or something. It's some sort of like magnetic thing. I don't know. I don't know what it is, guys. It looks crazy. It looks... Yeah, if you saw something like that in front of you while you're trying to fly a plane that's running out of fuel, like, your shit would be rocked. Like, you don't want to hit that either, right? It looks like a portal or a wormhole or... It doesn't... it, It looks like... It looks like a pattern that would happen in water, you know, or like, mm. like a like whirlpool. Like if you were to take um, an electromagnetic reading of a whirlpool, like two whirlpools next to each other, or something like that, or or magnets, right? Like you have the uh, the positive and the negative pole or whatever of a magnet. If you were to draw what that looks like, that is what that drawing reminds me of it's not exactly the same but it looks like it has some sort of magnetic quality to it because it's um it's like a a mirror like one side is like a mirror of the other side i don't know you guys i don't fucking know what the fuck i'm talking about i'm getting angry (laughs) because i don't understand what i'm looking at and uh that is i know that's like violence you've done well resorting to violence when you don't understand something is like a mark of uh, a lack of intelligence and I have just demonstrated that quality. I think that this just goes to show that the fact that Terauchi and Yoshio and the other guy whose name I forget right now like the fact that those three crew members like safely land after this terrifying experience because even if it's like mildly interesting to you like let's say you are a skeptic and you do think it's like the northern lights or something that would be interesting but once you see that it's like it it's forming a solid object and it's not just light and it's moving around you and you're running out of fuel like I'm sure they were just super relieved to be landed in Anchorage and refueling and the fact that they continued on to Tokyo after that and landed on time 15 hours later mm-hmm. I think it's just a testament to how professional these people were and like we just said the people from the FAA the Federal Aviation Association that went to go interview these guys while they were on the ground in Anchorage even noted that they said they're not under the influence yeah. of anything they seem perfectly rational and professional and they seem a little shook up but they're still maintaining their composure Now, in December of 1986, just one month after his UFO sighting, journalists for a Japanese newspaper called the Kyoto News found out where Captain Terauchi was staying at a London hotel room between flights. Cornering him, Terauchi reluctantly agreed to give an interview about the incident. The news report, which would later be republished to ufocasebook.com, contains the following quotes. Quote, Suddenly, Terauchi said, 600 meters below, I saw what looked like two belts of light. I checked with the Anchorage control tower. They said nothing was showing on their radar. But something was emitting those lights, and whatever it was seemed interested in the jumbo, for it adjusted its speed to match the planes, like they were toying with us. That went on for seven minutes or so. Quote, Then there was kind of a reverse thrust, and the lights became dazzlingly bright. Our cockpit lit up. The thing was flying as if there was no such thing as gravity. It sped up, stopped, then flew at our speed in our direction so that to us it looked like it was standing still. The next instant it changed course. There's no way a jumbo jet could fly like that. 
If we tried, it'd break apart in midair. In other words, the flying object had overcome gravity itself. Five minutes later, the object vanished in the gathering darkness. But soon another, much larger object, several tens of times larger than a jumbo jet, which itself is some 70 meters long, appeared, bathed in blue light. Again, the control tower radar registered nothing. Terauchi noticed unusual silhouettes over Fairbanks, Alaska. Then the object vanished. In the book, The Third Kind, A Compendium of UFO Encounters, author Michael Ryan writes that after their interview with Captain Terauchi, Kyoto News reached out to a man named Paul Stoik, asking for comment. Stoik was the public information officer in Anchorage for the FAA at the time. Stoik gave an initial response to Kyoto News, confirming that an unidentified object was in fact seen by Terauchi. He then reached out to a man named John Callahan, the FAA Division Chief of Accidents and Investigations, asking him for guidance on how to respond to further public inquiries about the incident. Callahan had not yet heard of Terauchi's UFO encounter, so he asked Stoik to forward him the reports and data for his review. Callahan and his superiors then compiled all the reports and synced up the radar data from the three different sources, the Japan Airlines flight and the two air traffic controllers on the ground, with the voice tapes of Terauchi speaking with the air traffic controllers. According to Callahan, quote, A day later at FAA headquarters, they briefed Vice Admiral Donald D. Ingen, who watched the whole video of over half an hour, and asked them not to talk to anybody until they were given the okay, and to prepare an encompassing presentation of the data for a group of government officials the following day. This meeting the following day was attended by representatives of the FBI, CIA, and President Reagan's scientific study team, among others. What? Upon completion of the presentation, all present were told that the incident was secret and that their meeting had, quote, never taken place. According to Callahan, the officials considered the data to represent the first instance of recorded radar data on a UFO, and they took possession of all the presented data. John Callahan, however, managed to retain the original video, the pilot's report, and the FAA's first report in his office. The forgotten target printouts of the computer data were also rediscovered by Callahan, from which all targets can be reproduced that were in the sky at the time. According to J. Glenn Harper, the FAA recorded interviews with the crew, written statements from the crews and controllers, accumulation of radar data, transcriptions of the original live radio communications, and an analysis of the radar images. This, together with other correspondence in the FAA file, totaled about 1,000 pages. Wow. After a three-month investigation, the FAA formally released the results at a press conference held on March 5, 1987. Here, Paul Stoich retracted his earlier suggestion that they had confirmed a UFO. This time, he said, quote, The FAA did not have enough material to confirm that something was there, and that the FAA was ultimately unable to substantiate anything the men claimed to have seen. Now, this 1,000 pages, you may be wondering, what happened to this video? What happened to these 1,000 pages? Yeah. So, apparently... 
Callahan says that all of the video evidence was retained somewhere in a file in Anchorage at the office of the FAA, but unbeknownst to everyone else, he was able to smuggle out some of the paperwork. And so actually a little over 300 pages are publicly available, both on the Black Vaults website, which is like a famous website for declassified UFO documents, and also on NICAP's website, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, but NICAP is essentially a national public database full of UFO sightings. So I'll I'll put the links in the show notes if you guys want to scroll through those 300 pages. A lot of it, to be honest with you, is just cutouts of newspaper articles at the time, like different compilations of newspaper articles, but it also has original sketches, um, some original letters between different parties talking about this thing. So as a result, the FAA was not able to bury this, right? It had already gotten too big. So the best they could do was discredit everyone and say, oh, we weren't able to substantiate what was seen. Yeah, I mean... I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. I, I'm i surprised I've never heard of this. What do you think of Ronald Reagan sending people to like be debriefed? Well, yeah. wasn't he also the president who was like, we need to set up a satellite like system around the world to zap a meteorite out of the sky, right? That is fascinating to me. I would not doubt it because... Asteroids are a problem, right? Don't we always hear about like, oh, this asteroid was like a tenth of a second away from like crashing into the earth. And in one of our episodes, we talked about the Tunguska incident, which is where a meteorite allegedly did hit in Alaska and or no, in either Alaska or Russia and like knocked over like miles and miles and miles of woods. Which, if you want to listen to that, I believe was episode um, 69, which came yeah, out on 420. Yes, yes, I'll never forget it. Yeah, beautiful, never forget, hashtag um, 9-11. So definitely go listen to that episode after this one if you're interested. But yeah, that would not surprise me, honestly, if like the world superpowers came together to create some some sort of device that would blow asteroids out of the sky. Now, you jo- you like piqued my curiosity. So, I went and googled um Reagan How aliens. Did you do that while you were talking to me. You're fake. You're super fake. Like I had no idea you were doing that. Oh my god. What a <gasps> deceitful bitch. Okay. What what does it say? <laughs> Okay, so this says that on September 21st, 1987, then-U.S. President Ronald Reagan gave an address to the United Nations General Assembly. In an often-quoted section of his speech, Reagan asked rhetorical questions and commented about the nations and cultures of the world uniting in common efforts to live in peace and avoid wars and bloodshed. In these statements, Reagan seems to be noting that in addition to the diverse cultures and societies around the world, we should also keep in mind the larger human culture. And despite conflicts and wars throughout human history to the present day, this larger human culture has many unifying elements. And it says, quote, Perhaps we need some outside universal threat to make us recognize this common bond. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? What could be more alien to the universal aspirations of our people than war and the threat of war? Oh, this is definitely like a... uh, a this is a website for sure about conspiracy theories, but I could see how. <laughs> okay, wait, okay, wait. Did he really make that speech? Because, well, I believe what. Okay, I think this can be read 
one of two ways. This could be its own fucking episode. It either is that he's just trying to make a point and be like, why are, why is there so much war and bloodshed when if there was an alien that came down, we would all unite then. So why can't we just unite now? So mm. like that could be one way to take it. Another way to take it could just be like, bro, we all know aliens are here. It's 1987, just a couple months after this sighting by Japan Airlines. Like, come on, guys. We've all seen the signs. Aliens are here. We need to fucking put our heads together and invent a machine that will zap these motherfuckers out of the sky. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Moving on. Okay, now we are moving on to about two months after this sighting by Terauchi. Okay. On Sunday, January 11th, 1987, just under two months after his initial sighting, Captain Terauchi was again flying over Alaska when again he saw strange flashing lights outside of his cockpit. Oh my god, PTSD for this poor man. It was around 7.30 a.m. as Terauchi and his co-pilot and a flight engineer were flying their Boeing 747 cargo plane from London to a refueling stop in Anchorage. So same route, basically. Last time they were going from Reykjavik, Iceland, to Anchorage. This time they're going from London to Anchorage. The crew of three were coasting at around 37,000 feet when Terauchi made the call to air traffic control. According to an article published to the Anchorage Daily News the following day, this sighting was placed under intense scrutiny by the Federal Aviation Administration, or FAA. Journalist Don Hunter writes of the sighting, quote, For the second time in two months, a Japan Airlines pilot has reported seeing an unknown object flying near his airplane over barren interior Alaska. Captain Kinju Terauchi reported the second sighting at about 7.30 a.m. Sunday morning, as he, a co-pilot, and a flight engineer flew at about 37,000 feet, said Paul Stoik, a spokesman for the Federal Aviation Administration. As on the night of Terauchi's first report in November, he was flying cargo in a Boeing 747 from London to a refueling stop in Anchorage. But there are more differences than similarities between the two reports. Unlike last time, the lights Terauchi saw Sunday morning did not show up on military or FAA radar screens. The pilot himself told FAA investigators that there was, quote, no similarity between the flashing amber and white lights he saw Sunday and the massive flying object that he reported trailing his aircraft for hundreds of miles on November 17th, end quote. Following his second sighting and Terauchi's subsequent interviews with magazines and newspapers, Japan Airlines made the decision to ground Terauchi and place him on desk duty until further notice. What? On January 29, 1987, just over two months after the Japan Airlines sighting, another possible UFO sighting would take place over the skies of Alaska in a report that would come to be known as the McGrath Incident. According to Wikipedia, at 6.40 p.m., Alaska Airlines Flight 53 would radio air traffic control reporting a fast-moving object on their onboard weather radar. While at 35,000 feet, some 60 miles or 97 kilometers west of the town of McGrath. On a flight from Nome to Anchorage, the radar registered a strong target on the flight's 12 o'clock position at 25 miles range. While the crew could not distinguish any object or light visually, they noticed that the radar object was increasing its distance at a very high rate of speed. 
With every sweep of their radar, about one second apart, the object added five miles to its distance, translating to a speed of 18,000 miles per hour, or 29,000 kilometers per hour. The pilot, however, relayed a speed of a mile a second to the control tower, or a speed of 3,600 miles per hour, but he confirmed that the target exceeded both the 50 miles and 100 mile ranges of their radar scope in a matter of seconds. The object was outside the radar range of the Anchorage Air Traffic Control Tower, and additional radar data covering the specified time and location failed to substantiate the pilot's claim. The following day on January 30, 1987, a U.S. Air Force KC-135 jet flying from Anchorage to Fairbanks once again observed a very large disc-shaped object. The pilot reported that the object was about 40 feet or 12 meters from his aircraft. The object then disappeared out of sight and no further investigation into this sighting was ever conducted. And they still clipped this pilot's wings and made him be on desk duty. Yes. And then everyone else saw the same thing. Isn't that crazy? So within, so basically the first sighting happened in November by Terauchi. Then the second sighting comes in in January by Terauchi again. Then there's another sighting just a couple days later from a different airline. And then a couple days after that, there's another sighting by a different airliner. And Teruchi is grounded by Japan Airlines and put on desk duty. And we're going to get some clarity as to why. Years later, Teruchi would finally be reinstated as a pilot with Japan Airlines after a long legal battle, thanks in part to the help of Dr. Richard Haynes. Haynes, a NASA scientist working for the Ames Research Center in California, had researched Teruchi's sighting and reached out to Japan Airlines. According to reporting by J. Glenn Harper, Dr. Haynes was informed that the main reason for terminating Terauchi's flying status was something to the effect of, quote, we don't think that pilots who experience hallucinations should be flying. Dr. Haynes pointed out to the medical officer that he had not only personally interviewed Captain Terauchi, but had studied many similar cases involving very large and unusually shaped aerial phenomena and objects flying at high altitude. Then, the chief medical officer simply said that he would be pleased to receive any documentation of these things. Dr. Haynes later mailed a rather thick package of information from his research files to Japan Airlines. Eight months later, Dr. Haynes learned that Captain Terauchi was returned to flying status. Dr. Haynes- Why was Dr. Haynes, like, so obsessed with Dr. Terauchi? I mean- Mr. Teruuchi. He felt why like why did he want to help him? He felt bad for him. So Dr. Haynes said, quote, I was glad that my research might have helped someone else in a difficult situation. So Haynes, we've actually talked about him before in past UFO episodes. He at the time was a very prominent NASA scientist, and he was particularly interested in UFO sightings. But specifically, he was interested in UFO sightings that had data associated with it. So he wasn't really, he's a scientist, right? He cares about right. what people are visually seeing, but he's not necessarily going to study a sighting from someone on the ground like me who talked about last year, I saw a possible UFO and have no fucking proof of this. So he would not be interested in someone like me, but he was interested in interviewing pilots, pilots 
um, military personnel, and people like that who claim to have seen yeah. flying objects. So when he interviewed Tara Uchi, because this was a really big fucking story in the 80s, because all of these sightings happened all in a row in the same area. Tara Uchi, thanks to the efforts of the researcher who we talked about earlier, um, had retained a lot of these files and radar data and drawings and sketches. And Tara Uchi himself had also um, gone public with several interviews to different newspapers and publications. And so because it was such a big story, it naturally hit Dr. Haynes' radar. And he was like, shit, I need to be looking into this. So he reaches out to mm-hmm. Terry Uchi, gets his firsthand account, gets some of those sketches, some of that data, compiles a lot of the newspaper clippings, and... Later, he finds out from Terauchi, oh, Japan Airlines says that I'm medically unfit to fly. And they're trying to say I hallucinated this. And Haynes is saying, well, that's bullshit because I here have the radar data showing that there really was something in the area. So he has more clout than Terauchi, right? Like he's a fucking NASA scientist. So when he reaches out to Japan Airlines through their representative, they're like, oh, yeah, send us whatever, you know, send us whatever and maybe we'll reevaluate. And it works in his favor because they have so much data and information that there really is no reason to keep Terauchi grounded. So he returned to flying. So keep in mind that in 1986, when he saw this incident that occurred, um, Mm -hmm. he was 47 years old. He ended up flying for an additional 20 years and retiring at the age of 67 to a small town north of Kanto, Japan, or Kanto, Japan, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. And he gave one final interview with journalist Shukan Shincho. And in that interview, it is fucking heartbreaking. He says, I spoke to a doctor. He said it was just an illusion. And then Shincho writes, his wife responds consolingly to her husband, quote, it's okay. You saw something that you weren't meant to see. And that's the last line of the interview. Oh my god. What monster. Isn't that fucking sad? Like, what a... Uh, yeah, that is sad. You saw something that you weren't meant to see. But, like, what does that mean? Does that mean you, you saw the inner workings of the universe? Or you saw something that everyone's pretending you didn't see because it's a conspiracy cover-up? It's like, god... Yeah, I think the second. I think she's trying to say, like, it's not your fault. You're not crazy. The only reason why they said you were crazy is because they had something to cover up, right? Like, they Mm -hmm. didn't want to admit that there was something they couldn't explain in American airspace. Okay, now we get into the theories. Natalia, are you ready for this? Yeah, I'm, like, weirdly creeped out. Like, there's, like, big windows here and here and I keep thinking that I see just something standing out there looking at me I don't like it like alien imagery because it's like weird yeah. skinny like uh gray like ying, ying, ying. I don't know how do you describe it it's gonna like come and like probe you like it's fucking violating little bitches like I don't like those things oh I just realized what it was that's scaring me I can see my own reflection in the window yeah it's just me yeah okay so i am also all alone in a room as you know you can see me yeah. and in fact i'm not just alone in a room i'm alone in a fucking building and i know you're welcome home to your thinking car thinking of aliens yeah scary <laughs> no thank you scary i know i just keep a ima- you know what i'm imagining 
a fucking waxy looking alien face just peeking through our broken no, blinds and staring peeking. at me as I am telling this story. It has no fucking mouth in my mind's eye and it's just looking with these like scary big eyes. God. That's what I'm imagining right now and it's freaking me out. God, I hate the idea of something peeking. Okay, but now we get into the theories and maybe these theories will assuage your fears. Maybe you'll pick one of the skeptic ones so that you can sleep tonight. I don't know. So there are five theories that we're going to talk about today. Theory number one is a split radar. This theory comes from author and attorney Jay Glenn Harper, who wrote an article on the sighting for the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, or NICAP, which is one of the documents that I'm going to link to in the show notes. Yeah, we've heard of NICAP before on the show. So he writes in his article, which is entitled Alaska UFO Mothership Revisited, quote, the FAA had the radar image data reviewed by the FAA-1's technical center in Atlantic City, New Jersey, using quote-unquote identical equipment. They determined that a second radar target near the 747 at the time of the reported sighting was not another aircraft, but rather a split radar image from the 747. Apparently, this is the FAA's official explanation of what their controllers saw on their radar screen. A more critical look, however, reveals that the FAA's official story can't, cannot and does not adequately explain the radar images seen by the controllers as reported on the live transcript. Here is the FAA's explanation from a March 5, 1987 official release by Paul Stoich of the FAA Public Affairs Office in Anchorage. Radar data received by the FAA and used to track Japan Airlines Flight 1628 on the night of November 17, 1986, was retained by FAA. Review of this radar data by experts using identical identical equipment at the Research Technical Center in Atlantis, Atlantic City, New Jersey, revealed that the radar system was receiving what is called an quote-unquote uncorrelated primary and beacon target. This electrical phenomena is not unusual, according to Stoich, who said, it is unfortunate that the uncorrelated target phenomena occurred just when a pilot was reporting seeing something outside his aircraft. The controller's statements released by the FAA indicate that they thought they, there might be another aircraft or object in the area of the JAL flight. Stoich said, quote, The controllers were doing their job right because they have to work with what is right there in front of them on the screen, especially when you have a captain that is reporting other traffic in his immediate area. The radar data they had was one target moving slowly across the radar screen. They don't have the benefit of Monday morning quarterbacking with multiple radar images, as was the case in the regenerating of the radar data. Review of the radar data by FAA experts revealed the uncorrelated target phenomena. FAA is so passive aggressive. I know. Also, it's fucking rude. So this is the last paragraph. Yeah. FAA electronic technicians explain that an uncorrelated primary and beacon target on the radar screen occurs when the radar energy that is sent up toward the aircraft, a prime which is a primary signal, returns to the radar receiver along with the aircraft transponder beacon signal, and the two do not match up as being at the exact same location. So yes, that is what you saw in that um, in that photo that I sent you earlier. So TLDR, what this is saying is that the FAA has decided that their official explanation is that there was nothing in the sky with Terauchi. And what happened yeah. was that just by some big coincidence, 
Terauchi happened to report seeing a foreign object outside his his plane at the exact same time that a false double blip on the radar was seen on two separate radar systems, the military system and the air traffic control system in Anchorage. Now, what I find particularly passive aggressive and fucking throwing people under the bus left and right is that not only is he saying that Terauchi is crazy in a roundabout way, but he's also saying that like the air traffic controllers don't even know how to do their job because wouldn't they be trained in that phenomenon? Mm. Yeah, I mean, th- this was just giving like douchebag that little speech yeah. or whatever. I don't know. It was just like not like whatever, dude. You know, what a sellout. I agree. Just a fucking disappointing um, theory altogether that I hate. And Jay Glenn Harper goes on to say that this explanation implies that the controllers did not see a real target and therefore the flight crew must have also been mistaken about what they saw. The problem with this official explanation is that it does not account for what the controllers reported seeing as stated in the live transcript. In the live transcript, the controllers are talking about seeing the other target in locations more than a quarter mile away from the 747. In one instance, the controller is talking about seeing the other target five miles or more from the 747, or out to the side. In another instance, it was reported several miles from the 747, 50 miles south of Fort Yukon, when the 747 was 40 miles south of Fort Yukon just just moments earlier. In another instance, the controllers report a flight size of two around the 747, which means a total of three targets, which cannot be accounted for by the split radar image, which can only yield a maximum of two targets. Boom. And I mean, yes, boom. And also another boom I just thought of was... other pilots who flew for different airlines at different times saw the same thing, right? Right, but because those with those airlines, allegedly the FAA said that they could not find correlating radar data to substantiate those claims, so they're like not even paying attention to those claims. They're like, those are done, trick of the light, because we couldn't find them on radar. But my counter argument is, since Terauchi went so public with his sighting, I'm sure the FAA were in damage control. So who's to say that the next fucking um, people that were reading the radars at air traffic control were like, well, shit, they just said that I read the radar wrong for Terauchi's sighting. I'm just going to say that I don't see anything. You know what I think is really weird, too, is like, what is the FF? No, what does the FAA have to gain from essentially saying that they have technological malfunctions? You know what I mean? Like, why yeah. Why do they want it to not be something unexplained? It's weird because it's like, you're a fucking airline. Like, you don't control the universe. It's like, okay, it would be like if I was wearing Nikes out in the woods and then I saw a cryptid. Like, would Nike be like, well, actually, <laughs> like, we on behalf of, like, the entire world are now going to discuss why you didn't see a cryptid because you were wearing our shoes and, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, just be like, we weren't there. We don't know. Yes. If you're good, like, don't be a dick, right? Like, you don't own yeah. the sky. Like, you're not responsible for whatever the fuck is in the sky. Does that make sense? Am I making sense? No, it does make sense. You're making perfect sense. Now, I will just play devil's advocate and say perhaps, although um, the air traffic controllers do not own the sky and the FAA, like, is not responsible for what's up there, 
the U.S. government in a roundabout way is responsible for knowing what's flying in their airspace at all times, right? So maybe Reagan was just like, look, me, the CIA, the FBI, hmm. we met, we like met with the FAA, we saw all their shit, we understand something was up there and we can't explain it. We don't want our enemies to know that we... Like that if it was them, they pulled one over on us. Right. And they are going to have they have like some crazy cloaking technology that we don't have access to. So rather than admit that, we're just going to say Terauchi made a mistake. He didn't see anything. And our radar system made a mistake. You know, this is tangentially related. I recently read this book. It's called The Art of War. Have you ever read it? I know that. Um, no, I will just let me. I'm not going to go off on a tangent. No, I have not read it. <laughs> it well, someone recommended it to me, but it's this book that was written a long time ago by this very famous Japanese general, or I don't know, he like commanded an army or something like that. And he just talks about everyone should read it, by the way. I listened to it on tape, it was really good. He talks about all these different strategies for war. And the very first chapter, he says that war is the art of deception. And you want your enemy to, if you're strong, you want them to think you're weak. If you're weak, you want them to think you're strong. Uh, if you want them to, you know, if you're over here, you want them to think that you're over there. If you're over there, you want them to think that you're over here. If you know what's going on, you want them to think you don't know what's going on. If you don't know what's going on, you want them to think that you know what's going on. If you're rich, you want them to think that you're poor. If you're poor, you want them to think that you're rich. If you don't have a lot of men, you want them to think that you have a lot of men. If you have a lot of men you want them to think that you don't have a lot of men if you know what i mean it's like the war is the art of deception right and mm -hmm. and i really have started to believe that every single time the government comes out and says like oh we don't know what's going on it's just bullshit and like we recently saw this with the um that like chinese weather balloon that was like floating over the u.s and they like weren't doing anything for it for a really long time they were just like letting it float and then eventually they zapped it and someone came out and said like yeah well we didn't want to explode it at first because we didn't want them to know exactly what like our defense systems were capable of and i think that's like perfectly demonstrating that art of deception right like they don't want another military to know how quickly they can actually respond to something so they just let it go on for a really long time and i think this is the same like i feel like because the ffa or the whatever the fuck the fuck 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 what is it called the ffa faa but ffa is future farmers of america <laughs> which is awesome <laughs> okay both both of them um because this you know f AA is uh is saying like oh this is nothing and we don't know what's going on it makes me think that it's the opposite that they like CIA has a gun to their head and they're like this is what you're gonna say I'm on board yeah I am on board with that now but okay that kind of leads in to theory number two and in this theory the government may have a different reason for wanting to downplay this sighting and that is because theory number two says that what Captain Terauchi saw outside of his window was actually a stealth bomber prototype. When John Callahan, the FAA Division Chief of Accidents and Investigations, was first told to look into Terauchi's report by Paul Stoich, he initially thought that the sighting was likely a test flight of a stealth bomber an aircraft that was then in development by Northrop Grumman in a top-secret project with the U.S. government. According to Wikipedia, 
The Northrop B-2 Spirit, also known as the Stealth Bomber, is an American heavy strategic bomber featuring low observable stealth technology designed to penetrate dense anti-aircraft defenses. A subsonic flying wing with a crew of two, the plane was designed by Northrop and produced from 1987 to 2000. According to this information, it is possible that test flights would have been conducted in 1986 when Terauchi had his sighting. In J. Glenn Harper's article, he concedes that this is a possibility too, writing, quote, The fact that the UFO appears intermittently and finally disappears is consistent with stealth technology, which is reported in many other UFO reports. Stealth technology means that the craft can hide itself or cloak itself from radar. In new conventional aircraft, stealth is achieved by making a craft out of something other than ferrous metals and by making the craft in a shape where there are no sharp angles formed by the body which will catch the radar wave and bounce it back towards the ground radar receiver. Modern stealth crafts, like the B-2, are built using these principles. They are made of composites, non-metals such as Kevlar, boron fibers, and others, and have minimal, and have minimal sharp angles. A round object, a cylinder, a cigar-shaped object, or a Saturn-shaped disc would seem to have a shape consistent with known stealth technology. So, Natalia, I'm going to show you some pictures of the B-2 bomber, and I want to hear what your thoughts are, because this is a real craft that in the 80s was a top-secret situation, and nobody knew that it even existed until very recently when the government was like, oh, it existed. And when that happens, we know that that's because we've moved on to bigger and better technology, right? Right. So now it's okay to say that it existed. Yeah. So here is a photo. Oh, yeah. This is the Stingray dude. I think we talked about this guy on um, the Area 51 episode. Okay. So I am looking at it. Yeah. It, it It's exactly what we talked about in the Area 51 episode. It looks like a Stingray. Or it looks like a flying triangle. And uh, it looks weird. It looks alien. Now, why would this thing emit light in such a strange pattern? That was like, I don't know, the way it was. I mean, I guess as like some sort of cloaking device. Okay, look, it doesn't fucking matter. Because why would the... <laughs> this? I just like painfully aware of how psycho we look right now like you are there with the wig on and the saint patrick's day like garland on your head and i have a cat ear uh headphones on and we're both on a podcast here and we're just talking about how the military is like covering up shit i just am painfully painfully aware of it um a very meta moment. Yeah. Okay. So, but anyways, back to what I was saying. It doesn't fucking matter because I'm going to end this whole theory right here. Why would the United States Air Force be out in a place where they know there are routine flights happening from Japan to Alaska multiple times a day from multiple airlines. No, that's not going to happen. They're not going to go take their stealth technology to the most highly trafficked uh, cargo route. Uh, I don't know if it's the most highly trafficked, but it's it's a highly trafficked <laughs> cargo route. They're not going to do that. That's why they have places like Area 51. And for all of you neckbeards out there who are like, oh, well, actually, they like uh, test things over the ocean all the time. And that's like the perfect place to test because like, da -da 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 -da. no, you're wrong. They could have gone. <laughs> they could have gone like 100 miles 
uh, east or west or south or north so that they wouldn't be in the direct line of Mr. You know, Japan Airlines, dude. Some people even believe that the B-2 stealth bomber was actually created by reverse engineering what crashed at Roswell. Yes. Which, you're right, we did talk about this at the Area 51 episode. So it, it could be, even if it is a B-2 stealth bomber, if, if we're going to go ahead and believe this skeptic theory, that still is sort of aliens in a roundabout way right. if you believe that it was reverse engineered. Yeah. All and signs point to aliens. That's right. And to answer your question about like, okay, but that doesn't really look like the, or it wasn't a question, it was a statement that you made that said it doesn't look like the sketches. I agree with that. And I think people who believe in this theory are really doing some mental gymnastics and trying to say like, well, but we know it was the sun was setting. So maybe the B-2 bomber, I mean, it looks fucking weird. In the 80s, we didn't even know that this thing existed. So it would look alien and foreign. And if it was doing these crazy maneuvers that up until this point we thought were impossible and it had cloaking technology and the sunset is bouncing off of it weird, maybe that's why Japan Airlines thought it was like this weird cigar shaped thing. Now, but other people saw it. Other people saw, yeah, other people reported during that time frame seeing something similar. Mm. And in Jay Glenn Harper's article where he's like, yeah, it could be stealth technology. He's also kind of saying, okay, but if we actually think it was cigar shaped with like a walnut in the middle, then it's not the B-2 bomber. But that doesn't mean that it couldn't still have stealth technology, right? So he's kind of saying, look, if we reverse engineered this from aliens, right. I feel like an insane person right now, but I'm know, doing my best to explain this. <laughs> that really if, we, if we reverse engineered this from a crashed alien aircraft, then we're going to be years and years and years behind what their current technology is, right? So maybe this is just the next evolution in an extraterrestrial stealth right. aircraft visiting our planet. Also, if it was a B-2 bomber, why would it be fucking circling Japan Airlines? Like, just fucking with this poor guy. Who is to say? Not Who's I. Who's to say? Not I. Okay, now we move on to theory number three. A planet or celestial body. This one, yeah, this is like, I was thinking about this. Like, this was like a pocket universe, perhaps, or a wormhole. It was something strange was happening. And I know that you're going to have more information on that thought. So I will allow you to speak now. I actually, I love that you're looking at everything from the believer perspective, because this is another skeptic theory, but I could see how it could be a believer theory. So this theory actually takes us all the way back to episode three of Let's Get Haunted. In that episode, we covered the abduction of Travis Walton. And if you don't know what that story is about, there's no time to explain. You need to go back and listen immediately after this episode is over. But in that episode, we talk about a guy named Philip Class a known UFO skeptic and all-around little baby bitch boy <laughs> whose sole mission during his time on Earth was to harass and tear down people who claimed to have seen UFOs. He's dead now and you're disrespecting him like that? That's so... He, I like that. He did it to Travis Walton. He tore him down, tried to say he was crazy. And he pops up again in this story doing the exact same thing to Captain Terauchi. I believe in that episode we even referred to him as a class hole. Philip J. Class, the class hole. In an article published to Washington Times entitled Pilot's UFO Sighting Called a Bright Image of the Planet Jupiter, Philip J. Class is interviewed regarding what he believes the sighting could be explained away as. Quote, 
A Japan Airlines pilot who claimed to have seen an unidentified flying object alongside his airplane last November was actually seeing an unusually bright image of the planet Jupiter and possibly Mars, an investigator said yesterday. Philip J. Class said astronomical calculations show that on November 17th, when the pilot claimed to have seen the UFO, Jupiter was extremely bright and was visible precisely where the pilot reported he saw the UFO. Mars was just below and to the right of Jupiter and may explain the pilot's initial report that he saw two bright lights, Mr. Class said. Mr. Class, an editor with the magazine Aviation Week and Space Technology and a longtime investigator of claimed UFO sightings, said the pilot's claims that the object followed him as he made a 360-degree turn are contradicted by what he told flight controllers at the time. John Layden, a spokesman for the Federal Aviation Administration in Washington, quoted from a summary of conversations between the pilot and ground controllers in which the pilot reported losing sight of the object after completing his turn. The object reappeared a few moments later, according to the FAA summary quoted by Mr. Layden. The pilot, Captain Kinju Terauchi, was over Alaska en route from Europe via Iceland to Tokyo, where he claims to have sighted the object. Who, who the fuck does Philip Class like think he is? He's like, like Galileo. He's like, according to my calculations, there are celestial bodies hovering in the air at all different orbits. Like, uh, wh wh why? According to my astrolabe <laughs> that I operated from the helm of my ship. I can deduce that, in fact, it was Mars. I know. I want to fucking take why this did, guy and just, like, lock him in his room for why, a while by like, himself. Why did he make that his life's mission? Like, did he go to a... Because he's... He sucks. Do, is he even... Does he even know what the fuck he's talking about? Like, is he even, like, an astronomer or whatever? He is, but I just don't like him because I feel like his sole mission was just to fucking tear down people who have just had the most terrifying encounter of their lives. Whether That's what get, grinds my gears about skeptics. First of all, they're not fun, which I take issue with. <laughs> now, second of all, not only are they not fun, but they're constantly trying to explain things away under this blanket umbrella of mental illness. And I think that's fucking dumb and dismissive. Mm -hmm. Of to just be like, oh, your account doesn't matter because you have anxiety or because you were hallucinating or something. Like, I don't know. Like, who are we let's to fucking talk about say what your... someone's mental well-being was? Right. Like, let's talk about your personal fixation on always having to be right and, like, know what you're talking about. How about That's you're right. mentally ill? Goodbye. 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 Goodbye, Mr. Classhole. And further, um, just being a fucking smug dipshit, he also said, quote, Jupiter was only 10 degrees above the horizon, making it appear to the pilot to be roughly at his own 35,000 foot altitude. Oh. This is not the first time that an experienced pilot has mistaken a bright celestial body for a UFO, nor will it be the last. I think that the Japanese pilot should have been a little more skeptical when the United Airliner and the Air Force plane reported seeing nothing, Mr. Class said yesterday. This guy Is fucking this guy sucks. Is this guy still alive? Uh, I don't know. I didn't look into it. I just don't like because him. Because I feel like he, I know, he was super fucking mean to every single person who's ever had an encounter with a ufo there is not a single one where he's been like oh maybe you know what i mean like he just lives well, to like tear everyone if down. he is alive he's 100 percent gonna get 
sent this video of us talking about him. But I, in my, you know how. Defend yourself. Right. Come yeah, on our show. Defend yourself. You know, like, did you ever watch Tiger King? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you know how, you know how the Tiger King had that like stupid show where he just like talked shit about Carol Baskin and said he was going to like <laughs> kill her. I feel like yeah. we're on that path right now. <laughs> No, I don't want Philip Class to die. I simply want him to be abducted by an alien race so that he can feel an ounce of the terror that all of his victims felt, okay, when he was discrediting them and calling them crazy publicly. That's, I think, my biggest issue is, like, why are you fucking doing this publicly? You can have whatever private opinion you want. But when you're like a big public figure scientist douchebag, like, do you really need to go on the record and be like, this guy should never fly a plane again? Right. You know what I mean? Like, you're fucking with someone's you livelihood. Can't even fly I just a plane. don't like it. I would like to see you try to fly a plane, Mr. Philip Class. That's right. Yeah. Show some class and put your money where your mouth is and you fly the plane if you know how to do it yeah. so well. Yeah. How about this? Someone kidnaps you, they abduct you, you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Guess what? You're on a plane, you're by yourself, you have to fly (laughs) it and land it. And now you tell us uh, if you could do that or not. Anyways. Yes. He, and he would not be able to because he is not Liam Neeson or Nick Cage. Theory number four. Captain Teruchi wanted so badly to see a UFO that he saw one where none existed. Wait, this theory. Does he want to? He wanted to see you. Who who came up with this theory? So this is this is a really popular one. Um, I don't know who came up with it, but it's often cited because basically the crux of this theory is that, or the basis of this theory is that you need to understand that Terauchi was, according to some sources, a UFO fanboy. Prior to this incident happening. Now, we've we've heard this before because I remember you did another uh, episode where this guy was like flying a plane and he disappeared. I can't remember what it was, that episode. Yes, that was uh, the Australian one, Frederick Valentich. Yeah, <laughs> Frederick Valentich. And one of the theories was that he was like a big UFO fan and because he had a Star Trek poster on his wall or something like that. People thought that like, oh, he made up this whole thing, Um, which, you know, we don't have time to get into that. But uh, I feel like what evidence do they have of this man that we're talking about now being a UFO fanboy? Well, I'm glad you asked. I will give you what meager evidence is provided. (laughs) Um So, skeptics point out that in the original transcripts between Japan Air and Air Traffic Control, which are published on the Black Vault website, which I'm going to link below, we can see that the crew aboard the 747 are actually are actually already referring to the object outside their window using the word UFO. So, I will read that part of the transcript out loud. Japan Airlines Japan Air, 1628. Uh, pilot's discretion maintain uh, uh, 250, so uh, I cannot, I couldn't see uh, UFO. Over. And then air traffic control says, Japan Air, 1628 heavy. Understand, you do not see the traffic any longer? Japan Airlines responds, affirmative. Now, this exchange takes place in the period of a couple of seconds, but it is very significant to skeptics. 
Because the term UFO in the 80s was not some normal pilot term that would be thrown about when communicating with air traffic control, the correct terms would have been traffic or aircraft, two terms which the Japan Airlines flight crew do use at the beginning of their transcript before reverting to the term UFO towards the end. However, as a rebuttal to this, I just want to point out that English was not the first language of any of the flight crew, a fact underscored by the men requesting the help of a Japanese-to-English interpreter when they were interviewed later by the FAA. Terauchi's own sketches of what he saw also feature captions written in his native language of Japanese, which you pointed out, not English, and because of this, it doesn't seem that weird to me that the term UFO in English may have just accidentally slipped out in the heat of the moment as the men struggled to find the proper English term to what they were witnessing. And I say that because UFO, as everyone knows, stands for Unidentified Flying Object. So perhaps to someone who English is their second language, they might just say, oh, well, UFO is an unidentified flying object and that's what I'm seeing. So I'm going to refer to it as a UFO. Yeah, as I was saying, as someone who speaks uh, another language that's not my first language and I'm not, I'm not super well versed in all this different vocabulary. So when I'm speaking Spanish to somebody, I, I have like my... I have like a few words that I'll use to describe many situations where if I was, you know, okay, for example, let's say I'm describing a painting in in English. I would be like, wow, that painting is so loosely done. Uh, I love the way that they were so heavy handed with the neutral space. Um, overall, it's just got great composition. Now, if I'm talking about <laughs> that painting in Spanish, I'm gonna be like, that's a good painting. Yes. Okay. I'm glad you brought that up. Because that's all the fuck I can say. Exactly. So that is my counterpoint. I'm glad you agree with me. But that is not the only thing that skeptics point to when arguing the theory that Terauchi just really wanted to see a UFO. When he was later questioned on why he told air traffic to not scramble any military jets to check out what he was seeing, he responded that he was afraid that if he asked for military intervention, there might be a repeat of the Mantell incident. Natalia, have you ever heard of the Mantell incident? No, but is it like, let me guess, like someone asked the military to come help them and then actually the military like fucked them up? <laughs> So the TLDR, I had never heard of it either. You're very close. So the TLDR of the Mantell incident is as follows. On January 7th, 1948, Godman Army Airfield at Fort Knox, Kentucky received a report from the Kentucky Highway Patrol of an unknown circular aerial object traveling westbound near Madisonville, Kentucky. Observers at Clinton County Army Airfield in Ohio described the object, quote, as having the appearance of a flaming red cone trailing a gaseous green mist and observed the object for about 35 minutes. In that incident, the Kentucky Air National Guard, the Kentucky Air National Guard sent four of their planes that were already in the air to travel to the unknown object and check it out. One of these four pilots was a 25-year-old man named Thomas F. Mantell. Mantell pursued the object in a steep climb and disregarded suggestions to level his altitude. At high altitude, he blacked out from lack of oxygen, and his plane went into a downward spiral and crashed. Later investigation by the United States Air Force Project Blue Book indicated that Mantell may have died chasing a skyhook balloon, which in 1948 was a top-secret project that he would not have known about. Historian David M. Jacobs argues the Mantell case marked a sharp shift in both public and governmental perceptions of UFOs. 
Previously, the press often treated UFO reports with a whimsical or glib attitude, reserved for silly season news. Following Mantell's death, however, Jacobs notes that the fact that a person had died in an encounter with an alleged flying saucer dramatically increased public concern about the phenomenon. Now, a dramatic new prospect entered thought about UFOs. They might not only be extraterrestrial, but potentially hostile as well. So, basically, in his interview with the FAA, Captain Terauchi says that his reason for declining the air traffic controller's offer to scramble military pilots the evening of the sighting is because he was worried that any pilot sent to look at the UFO might, may either be attacked by the UFO or placed in harm's way in some other way. Now, when I hear that, I think to myself, wow, that's really considerate of Captain Terauchi. But when the FAA heard that, they pointed out how only someone super into UFOs would know about this obscure case from the 1940s. And therefore, Terauchi must already be thinking that what he was seeing was... He must already be thinking about what he was seeing from an extraterrestrial perspective instead of an unknown aircraft perspective. I, you, you know, I also, I know earlier I was like, call the military and like, fuck shit up because I'm not actually in the situation. So like, I just want chaotic like shit to happen. Right. Like, uh, you know, I'm right. like, okay, call in the F-22 and have them like nuke whatever the fuck it is. Shoot yeah, it because yeah, we want to fucking yeah, see exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. I want to see an explosion in this like hypothetical fake situation. Right now, if I was actually in that situation, um, I don't, I, I, I feel like when you're in a situation where you don't know what's going on, calling in cops is always the worst thing you can do and the military is like a super aggressive cop who like has no laws to like bide over them like if the, someone in the military decides that you're a threat like bye you're gone you know what i mean and so maybe in his mind he yeah. was like okay i'm seeing something i don't know what it is i can guarantee if i call over these space cops or whatever they are they're gonna you know this it's not gonna end well like no matter what it is you know he might have just been thinking or maybe yeah. it's just not that well, serious he, like oh yeah i'm seeing something really weird do i want to get the military involved probably not because then they're gonna have to fill out all of these forms i'm probably gonna lose my job yeah. which he ended up losing his job anyways because the military got involved yeah no i think all of your points are really valid and I don't know that I would have made a different choice, especially because considering that he's just trying to fucking land his aircraft to refuel. He is almost out of fuel. And then now, like, he's dealing with this problem of a UFO. Like, he has to be concerned about getting himself to safety, too. And in the heat of the moment, I could see myself being like, no, 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 no. don't scramble anyone. Just get me safely to the refueling station. Like, give me priority. I'm running out of fuel. I've made all these evasive maneuvers at your behest to try to shake this unidentified flying object. It didn't work. I just want to fucking get on the ground. Like, deal with that later. If you guys decide to scramble it, you decide to do that on your own. Don't ask me. Like, I just want to get home safely. I'm just a cog in the yeah. machine. Yeah. yeah. Now, the last part of that theory, before we move on to the final theory, is that Philip J. Class added one more point to this skeptic theory in his book, The UFO Invasion, published in 1997. He wrote a book? Oh, yeah. He wrote a book about this? Yes. His, he is profiting off the suffering of hundreds of people. I just don't have respect. But again, if you're alive, sir, come on our show and defend yourself. So the he writes in his book, this is a quote, the FAA information 
reveals Terauchi to be a UFO repeater, with two other UFO sightings prior to November 17th and two more this past January, which normally raises a caution flag for experienced UFO investigators. The JAL pilot is convinced that UFOs are extraterrestrial, and when describing the lights, Terauchi often uses the term spaceship or mothership. According to UFO skeptic Robert Schaefer, who I can only assume is friends with Mr. Class, he says the bottom line is Terauchi's own flight crew saw only lights, and other aircraft checking out the situation saw nothing. Now, here's my counterpoint. The argument can be made that the crew told the FAA that they saw nothing but lights because they didn't want to be punished like Terauchi was. Yeah, yeah, I mean... This is like a blaming the victim situation. I think it's really weird that that Philip Class guy wrote a book. Like, who the fuck is reading that book? Like, of all the boring, not fun <laughs> shit you could read, why would you want to read something that's basically like a nuh-uh? Right. I would rather read Travis Walton's um, story that he wrote himself about what he experienced, which we talk about in episode three. We read quotes from his book. I would rather read that than read fucking yeah. Philip Class's uh, Debbie Downer book about why yeah. the Earth is not interesting and why we're alone on this planet and like life has no meaning. Hey, Philip Class, I think you need to read a little self-help book. How about that? About how to not be such a depressing bitch. Let's let's necromance his corpse back to life just to send him to therapy. Okay, now we have theory number five. This is our final theory, Natalia. And that theory says that what Terauchi saw was a UFO, an unidentified flying object not of terrestrial origin. Mm -hmm. This theory argues that Terauchi and his crew did in fact see an unidentified flying object that day in November 1986, and the UFO was not of terrestrial origin. Interestingly, Alaska has long been a hotbed for UFO sightings and even alien abductions. There is even an entire show on the Travel Channel dedicated to this phenomenon called the Alaska Triangle, which details hundreds of reports of extraterrestrial activity in the areas of Fairbanks, Alaska and Mount Hayes near the area where Terauchi was flying that evening. But perhaps we will save some of those delicious details for a future episode. Wow. Let's just get a slow clap in here. Clap. Clap. As I slowly lost my mind defending aliens. Hey, I think this episode was fantastic. Um, I'm on board. Thank you. I really am on board. Now, I, I, I feel like the safe answer is probably to say, oh, this is either a military, you know, thing or an unidentified flying object. We don't know what the fuck it is. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think it's so weird that skeptics will constantly be like, oh yeah someone's a ufologist or someone's like a ufo enthusiast and so of course they just wanted to see a ufo i want to see a ufo i want to see a ghost i have a whole podcast devoted to things that are unexplained and supernatural and unknown and yet i i always convince myself it's the opposite like i'm always like oh no because i'm aware of all of the skeptic theories because i am such an enthusiast of ufo's and the paranormal when i see something unexplained there are a million things that go through my mind of what it is and i and and it's not 
I rarely slash have never, I've never landed on, I've seen a ghost or I've seen an alien, despite believing others. Be like me, world. Be like me. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, if we recall the sighting that I explained last year where I saw a weird light in the sky, still not sure what it was. I even say in that episode, like, I hope it's not a fucking alien, right? Like, I hope it's something else. I'm sure it was, you know, maybe just an aircraft that I'm not familiar with, like a military aircraft. Okay, but I do. Am I going to say that to someone else who has seen a UFO? No, because I don't. I am just assuming that they're also probably thinking the same thoughts that I'm thinking in my head when it happened to me. Like, you don't want that to be the case. So I don't need to dogpile onto the way that Teruchi feels because he probably was feeling super shitty mm-hmm. about it too. Yeah, I mean that interview yeah. that his wife and him did was it was really yeah, it was sad. sad. I if it if this yeah. is like a military. Um, if this is a military, some sort of like super cloaked device or whatever, we, we already know that it goes back to aliens anyways, because we've reverse engineered alien uh, spyware or whatever the fuck. So, um, but I don't think that's what it is. I, 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 the thing that's not answered about the aliens, I oh, know, sorry, the screen just froze. Can you hear me? Uh oh. You guys, I think we might have lost our Zoom call. <gasps> this is exciting. The CIA has tapped into our show and is trying to figure out what is happening here. Okay, Natalia. Um, for those of you who are watching this video, you are going to notice a like jump where now we are in different positions. And if you are listening to this audio, I'm assuming there's going to be a similar jump in audio. And that is because something <laughs> fucking stupid just happened. And uh, now I really feel like a full on tinfoil hat person. Yeah, I kept recording. So I kept recording like you froze all of a sudden. And I was like, um, is this frozen? Like, is she going to come back? Uh, So I just kept talking and then after a while it was like Zoom recording ended and I was like, okay, well, you know, now we're for sure going to have to like record more of this later or something. So then I texted Alyssa and she was like, a plane flew over and her computer crashed. Yeah. So as we were talking about aliens and talking about how insane we feel, um, a an aircraft, I shit you not, an air, a low flying aircraft flew so low over our office building that the whole building started to kind of shake from the sound. And as it was shaking, a power surge happened. All the lights turned off. My laptop turned off. Okay, and then I'm just sitting here fucking frozen, staring at the screen. I don't know if you could see me or not. And then my laptop slowly turned back on. All the lights came back on. And then as it was rebooting, it was just like unexpected error, um, audacity crash, zoom crash. And I was like, don't fucking tell me we just lost two hours of footage. But no, it was still there two hours and 15 minutes. So I hope that's what it was supposed to be. Wait a second, though. But like, what do you mean a a power surge? Like all of the the building's lights went out? Yes. And was your computer on low battery? Was it plugged into the wall? No, it's plugged in. It's plugged into the wall. Is that like, no, is this the old laptop you have? Nope, it's my <gasps> new laptop. What? Are, why would that happen? This shit is weird. I'm telling you guys, when we did that episode on 
I can't even say the name out loud because I feel like well, it's just going to get us put back on the list. But it rhymed with <laughs> shoe on wrong. Um, <laughs> my phone started glitching after that. Like it would, I would be trying to FaceTime with Alyssa because that's how we were before we started zooming. We were just doing FaceTime. It was like the beginning of the pandemic. And I lived like kind of out in the middle of nowhere. So I was trying to figure out, okay, do I just not have good reception or something? But it wasn't that it was like, my phone went from being fine to just like glitching. It, it mm-hmm. what had nothing to do with um, what my service was like or anything. It just it really felt like someone was listening in. And then and then when I was talking on the phone, I would hear like clicking, and it would like the phone calls would be glitchy too. And that was a while after we did that episode, and then it kind of calmed down. Uh, actually, yeah, it calmed down when I got a new phone. I know, but it was it fucking freaked me out. It just freaked me out because that is, that is fucking uh, weird, this guys. fucking aircraft. I was trying to listen to you talk. Where did it cut out for you? I don't even know because I was so shocked. Like you were in the middle of saying something about theory number five. And then all of a sudden I just hear like this. Sh- I hear a plane noise, which is not unusual. Okay. Because we're in the San Fernando Valley, as we talked about in the intro to this episode. But it's and also so- not usual. I've I've never heard a plane go over the building when I've been there. Well, that's what I mean is there is technically, I believe there is a private airfield in Encino and then there's a public one in Burbank. So it's not unusual to see like planes super high up, like flying over the 101. And it's certainly not unusual to see helicopters that are like reporting on traffic and accidents. But this was not a helicopter. I heard a plane coming and then all of a sudden it was right over our office building. The walls were shaking. I was like, that's weird. It happened so fast. And then all of a sudden all the lights just went off. The lights in this studio. I, I mean, I can't. That's never happened. No, it never happened. The lights in this room went off. My laptop shut off. And then it, it, and then it turned back on with the lights. First of all, that's not what happens when a computer crashes. When my computer crashes, it's just like it freezes and does like pinwheel. But I have Windows now, so it does like the stupid Windows version of pinwheel, which is just like, like I don't know. It, it, but it doesn't turn the fuck off. I know. Anyway. It's really weird. It's fucking freaky. I don't like it. And now I'm just thinking about, again, a waxy alien men in black face no. looking at me. I can't tell because the lights are on in here and they're off outside. So there could be someone just fucking floating there looking through this window right now <laughs> at me. Shut up because I have windows right on both sides uh, of my... I'm scared now. I don't like, I don't like it. Okay, well... Is it because are... we brought up Philip Class? <laughs> the ghost of Philip Class. Fuck. Philip Class, I'm sorry. I repent. Um, you may oh my God, you know, know what I just things. realized? What? Do we know what Philip Class looks like? Yeah, we Was do. Was he just... Oh, okay. He was a real person. I was yeah. thinking, like, what if that's just the name that the military or the CIA oh. like gives to some fake person, like their quote unquote administrative assistant? Honestly, it could be. Maybe they just like use some poor fall guy, like a patsy, to be the face of Philip Class, and like are just pushing out anti-alien propaganda to the masses. Oh my god. What if this anti-alien propaganda push out to the masses has been happening for, uh, like. 
all throughout history and like what if galileo i'm pretty sure he's the person no it was copernicus the Uh, one who said that actually the earth goes around uh the sun and the sun doesn't go around the earth uh i believe or some other fucking i don't know monumental shit he figured out whatever what if that was all bullshit and it was all misdirection and everything ever has been a misdirection and and philip class is just the new Copernicus, the new Galileo. Now, what do you think about that anti-intellectual, anti-science behavior? The Earth is flat. People None of TikTok. us are alive. This is a simulation being run by Ronald Reagan and George W. Bush, and they are actually skinwalkers. And we are inside a snow globe on someone's mantle piece above a fire. Ooh. What now? What now, skeptics? What say you now? But yeah, I mean, look, all jokes aside, that's fucking weird that your computer just turned off. I didn't like it. Like, yeah. Like, because even if a plane flew low overhead, I could see the like lights turning on and off because, you know, fucking electricity. That's what it does. But your laptop, which has its own battery source power... Like, why would that, why would it be affected by a plane going overhead? Somebody, Someone tell us yeah, the answer. I was just about to say that. If you're a pilot and you know about stuff, leave a comment on our photo dump at Let's Get Haunted or head over to our subreddit r slash Let's Get Haunted and leave a comment on the discussion thread for this episode because I tell you what, I'm pretty spooked and I would not let Natalia go to bed even though it's midnight over there because I was like, I'm fucking scared. Let's record this outro. Um, so Natalia, without yeah. further ado, um, what is your favorite theory and give us our sign off? Um, I'm going to not answer your question and I'm going to say what I want to say first, which okay. is I really had fun doing this episode. <laughs> I think this was really fun. I like when it's being recorded because I don't know, it feels like we're, we're together with the haunties, like in some yeah. weird way. Um, but, um, now I'm going to answer your question. So great job. <laughs> On bringing us together with the aunties. Oh, thank you. Thank uh, you. My favorite theory. I mean, my favorite theory is that it's a little bit of mix of everything, right? It's that um, the Japan Airlines pilot saw a UFO. He did not know what it was. And that UFO was um, was being covered up by the government. So they're doing everything in their power to make it look like he's crazy and because they don't know what it is either. And, you know, according to the art of war, if they don't know what something is, they're supposed to act like they do know what it is. And if something is an alien, they're supposed to act like it's not an alien. Now, according to that philosophy, them acting like it's not an alien and they know what it is means that it's it is an alien and they don't know what it is <laughs> i think we have fully lost our minds and i hope the haunties enjoyed this episode because if tonight is any indication of where the season's going we are only going to be like living in hey. boxes on the street uh, <laughs> screaming at people with like pasta strainers on our head <laughs> 
After you started off the season with like the most well done, thoughtful, thought provoking episode ever and got us all these new listeners and they all think that like they found this really smart, you know, like the, the NPR of paranormal and and little do they know they're super wrong really <laughs> look we like to keep everyone guessing that's what you can expect from let's get haunted um inconsistency and keeping people guessing what do Which, you think it was uh i don't know man it was an alien <laughs> I'm just thinking about like how I'm absolutely going to be abducted by the men in black when I go to walk to my car tonight. So um, if you guys never hear from really me again, scary. that's why. Look, the real mystery is why the fuck did your laptop turn off? Makes no sense. It's never done that before? No, this is a brand new laptop. It's never crashed before. It has never had any problem before. It, it has like full memory because all I do on it is play Sims and record uh, our podcast. I even mm. thought about, I even was like, maybe I'll record the Zoom on my old laptop and the audio on Audacity on my new laptop. And I was like, no, you know what? I'm going to do both on the new laptop because it can handle it. And then this fucking shit happens. Damn. Yeah, that's, this is a crazy, been a crazy, crazy haunted intermission. Great yeah. episode. Um, I could talk about this more for hours, but um i shouldn't be allowed to <laughs> so <laughs> i'm going to do our sign off which yes, is please. um uh, yeah i just keep thinking about philip glass and then i'm i just get angry and i can't <laughs> think of anything like positive to say like i'm like brb gonna go like piss on Phil, uh, philip glass's <laughs> grave and then i'm like don't say that like what the fuck is wrong with you i know don't let um, the intrusive thoughts win um BRB gonna go prove that the UFOs are extraterrestrials with my paranormal podcast. Um, so any government entities that are listening to us, uh, you need to convert yourself to extraterrestrial <laughs> entities because we already know you are. Bye. Bye. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.